Happy holidays and welcome to Mile High Stash, the podcast that asks what five albums you would take to a remote Colorado cabin if you were stranded with nothing more than food, water, and a crank-powered Victrola. Um, on the show today is a Colorado legend, Slim Cessna of Slim Cessna's Auto Club. Uh, but first, I want to talk to you about mushrooms, Colorado mushrooms, not the kind you might think. Uh, these are grown right around here in Brighton, and I got to tour where they grow them, actually. They're as beautiful as they are, delicious. You can make them with just about anything. Check out our uh, Mile High Stash Instagram for some photos of Colorado mushrooms, which we've been cooking up around my house this um, this holiday season. Um, anyway, Slim Cessna, the man himself, and his wonderful wife, um, Maria, um, drove about two hours from South Park to my place on a recent uh, Saturday in Boulder to sit down and chat, and um, I was really honored. Not only is Slim largely responsible for what some call the Colorado sound or the Denver sound. Slim's an icon because he's been true to himself and his vision for so long. He's a believer, and I think you can take that a lot of different ways. Um, I hope you um, enjoy my chat with Slim. And um, Oh, well, Slim Stesna's Auto Club is playing the high dive in Denver again this New Year's Eve and the night before as well. Colorado Mushrooms is a Brighton-based farm-to-chef operation that was founded in 2019 by two friends who have quickly found a home for their exquisitely tasty mushrooms at beloved Colorado restaurants all along the Front Range. More than half of the mushrooms in the United States come from Pennsylvania and can be weeks old before they reach your plate, but Colorado mushrooms are often served same-day fresh. Ask your favorite restaurants if they serve Colorado mushrooms, which include Blue Oyster, Lion's Mane, Black King, Piopinos, and more. Get in touch at coloradomushroomsllc.com or find Colorado Mushrooms on Facebook and Instagram. Yeah, the first thing that I wanted to ask about is what you were saying when, when you walked in, actually. It's, it's just about uh, nostalgia for Boulder, but then also, why haven't you been here for so long? You know? Yeah. Yeah. We're starting right now? Yeah, let's oh, do it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I had a great childhood here mm-hmm. in Boulder and, and teenage years and, you know, starting my, my first bands in the, in the 80s mm-hmm. here. And so there, there is, but I, and I and I don't want to say I forgot about it. It's just time. Well, I guess I I did. And, and thinking about it, you know, even while I'm picking the albums of, uh, you know, my end of the world albums, mm-hmm. they're all from, you know, my youth. They're all from the '80s for you know, except yeah. for one. And um, and you know, I'll explain that later. But yeah. it's, uh, but I I don't have great memories of high school here or anything but I have great memories outside of that but but it's interesting how I 
And I think I still do that. I like I just move on and I don't really look back. Mm. But um, as far as you know, I moved to Denver and I you know I started the Auto Club and then I did all these things and and I've I've had children and I've I've had like an, an amazing you know interesting life with you know full of stories and I just kind of forget about where you know what brought me along the way sometimes I suppose yeah but I you know I don't. Um, it's not like I was captain of the football team, and that was like the end of you know. Sometimes people look back because that was the greatest time of my mm-hmm. you know of their lives. But you know, for me, my my it's been this last year. You know, like I've been married to um, uh, Maria like for fourteen months now, and it's just been like the highlight. So mm-hmm. like I, I guess I, I you know. So I guess I have nostalgia when it comes to music, but but nothing else, you know. Like, but it is nice to be back. It was fun to drive, you know, through the through the hill on the way here, and right. just like thinking about all the houses I lived there that are all torn down now, mm-hmm. you know, like right off of Broadway there on Fifteenth Street, the Bugs Bunny garage. You know, I don't know if if you remember that, but now it's it looks like it's townhomes or something. I don't know. What, for well, whatever. Unfor- unfortunately, Albums on the Hill just went out of business, which is really sad because Andy was there yeah, for 30 years. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and Munley worked there for a while. And oh, really? That's kind of what, how, not how I met him, but where he was working when right. I met him. Yeah. And I've spent, you know, a lot of my youth in that. And Albums on the Hill and then Trade a Tape, which was kind of right next door forever. I don't know if that's still there. I should... No, Traded but that's tape. way before my time, too. Yeah. I moved here around 2008. Okay. And so there were some things that were staples around here that were closed, like a, a, a Cafe Greco and, or sorry, Cafe Roma and uh, oh, Penny yeah. Lane. You know, oh, yeah. Things. I used to play shows at Penny Lane. like back in Nirvana. Yeah. Famously playing there. <laughs> I know. Mm-hmm. That's so funny. Yeah. yeah. And there used to be a, I don't, the depot, the train depot. Um, which was by the the shell there, like where where is that Arapahoe and Broadway? There's that mm. that there's that big um, the band shell band shell. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I don't know why I couldn't think of yeah. what that's called, but there was a there was a, a like a train right there, and we used to do shows or to the train depot was there, huh. not the train, and that well they used to have a few cars, but then we like we could rent out. The oh. train depot to put on punk rock shows back in the 80s. It seems so foreign right now. And then like, they, they moved wow. the depot somewhere else. It's like over off of um, 28th, somewhere there's a movie theater there. And I think the depot now is kind of right across yeah. the parking lot from whatever theater that is. It seems so foreign right now, yeah. the concept of, of there being punk shows in Boulder. I mean, I know that there are often um, indie bands that. Um, are going to college here and they put on house shows and mm-hmm. sometimes I go to those and I feel like uh, a, a renewed you know faith in life like it's so special but then yeah. they move away in a year or so nah. so there's not really like a like a rock scene or a punk scene here like there used to be there's know? like maybe maybe we just got old <laughs> that's how I always think <laughs> like, yeah. I, I just don't understand what the kids are doing anyway yeah. like, <laughs> it's not like they come to my shows so like what do I know I don't know anything <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to go. I want to go all the way back. You know, um, uh, you are such a staple of the Colorado music scene over the last twenty years or so. And even you know the trucker hat and the black and the, and the boots. Like, 
you have and the glasses and yeah. I mean <laughs> um, there should be like a bobblehead of Slim Cessna, you know, because Aww. it's this um, <laughs> Oh that, that's sweet. Um you're an icon and so I I find it hard, you know, when I ask the question, what were you like as a kid? I find it hard not to think of like just a little slim, like you would look exactly like you do right yeah. now, but you would be like a few feet tall. Uh, yeah, I used to dress as a cowboy also then. I mean, it, but some of that is, is cultural. I mean, my father and, you know, like my, he's a preacher, but he always has worn cowboy hats. And I, I remember when we moved to Boulder, my, my, we, my father got a job at the church that isn't there anymore mm-hmm. over on... Um, I don't know. I don't even know where it is. East. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Out by Baseline Lake somewhere over there. Yeah. But uh, that's where I grew up also. And um, Where were you born, uh, Sam? I, I, <clears throat> well, I, yeah, gosh, I mean, I consider myself, I'm, I'm all Colorado. I'm fourth generation. Mm. I just don't have the benefit of being able to say I was born here mm. because my, my father was um, working for IBM out in San Jose, California, and that's where he met my mother, who's from Michigan. And um, But that was just a temporary place for him. And so when I was six months old, um, they moved to Colorado. Yeah. But my father's from here. He's from Boulder. He went to Boulder High. He grew up a block away from where we are sitting right now yeah. on Juniper. And um, my grandfather's from Longmont and... Um, my great grandfather came here because of um, health issues, you know, back in the uh, the turn of not this last century, but the one before mm-hmm. then, um, from Ohio. And so there were people with breathing issues and tuberculosis mm-hmm. or asthma or whatever it was, they would tend to come to Colorado for the clean air. And, yeah. um, and I guess it worked for him because he died of old age right yeah. here. That happened to Jimmy Rogers too, and yeah. and uh, listening to your music, I, I wonder when you were first exposed to Jimmy Rogers or music like that. Oh, I've I I can't think of a time when I didn't know who that was. Yeah, yeah. So your parents were really into music. I don't want to say that that they were really into music, but I caught. On, but my my father was um, to a certain extent, and and enough so that that I was obsessed with everything. You know, like mm-hmm. he was, like he would listen to country music, you know, on road trips, and um, and he we did have some records, and and so I would just obsess over them. You know, I yeah. Remember, as as a child, just like staring at the the Folsom Prison Blues album and being horrified and, and intrigued and, mm-hmm. um, you know, with the sweat coming down his face and um, just, I don't know, just from from early on, I always knew what I was going to do, you know. When you started to play music, um, first of all, when was that that you started, you know, writing songs and wanting to perform, but then uh, was it immediately laden with, you know, Christian imagery and references? Probably, yeah, I would think so, because that certainly is where where I've come from, and mm-hmm. and everyone who I've played music with, well, I mean, not necessarily now, but like at the time, like we were all in that same place. Like my my, my second band was called Bloodflower, mm-hmm. and that we started in 
either 84 or 85, I'm, I'm not sure, here in Boulder, and we were all living on the hill together and um, just kind of scrappy, like, street, I don't know, like, just punk rock, but not, we didn't really call it punk rock then, so it's hard to, I mean, because it was more like Joy Division, and mm-hmm. like, and we didn't call it goth either, it was, it, back then it was still called death rock, you know? Death rock. Yeah. That's the first to, I've heard of it. Um, you know, for what for whatever that is, like Sisters of Mercy and Joy Division and, yeah. um, uh, you know, the birthday party and um, what, whatever else we were interested in at the time. Um, and I, I think that I'm scrambling, and I, uh, um, I, I think I already forgot what the question is. I'm sorry. When did you start to write songs <laughs> and play in bands? It sounds like the early 80s. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah early 80s. Yeah, yeah so, so Bloodflower was with... Um, David Eugene Edwards from 16 Horsepower and now mm-hmm. Woven Hand and um, uh, Jeffrey Paul, who was also Denver Gentleman uh, after that, and um, Phil Ross and, and myself. Um, but we all knew each other because of um, youth type of church-related activities, mm-hmm. and, and we were the ones who listened to interesting music but we're yeah. still part of that whole uh culture and, and and scene and background you know yeah and so yeah i think it was always it kind of always kind of had that um that foundation i suppose mm-hmm. like what did your parents think of, think of your music when you started playing well i think they were terrified of it yeah yeah Mine too. <laughs> <laughs> but i mean they're good now i mean yeah. one of my jobs well actually my primary job at the moment is just being in fair play with my parents. Mm. Um, we're there. My, um, my, they, my parents retired there and, and, you know, built a house, bought land for $3,000 in fair play in the eighties and built a home and, um, retired there. And so, you know, it's out in the middle of nowhere and they're, and they're older and my father broke his back a couple of years ago. Mm. And so we just kind of, and that's right when COVID was happening and my whole business got shut down completely. So yep. it was an amazing blessing that I was able to be there. Um, and, and now Maria has joined me there, which mm-hmm. is like, like, like as far as like real life angels from heaven, like that is crazy. She had like an amazing life and just yeah. decided to do that with, take care of, that's you wonderful. know, help my parents. Like... So anyway, but there, so everything's good. So we're up there. Yeah. Um, um, but so I mean, they got over their issues with my music. Yeah. But <laughs> I think over year, over the years, I made it easier for them. You know, I, I like to hope I did. Well, I mean, it's, <laughs> it, it seems like everybody rebels, and mm-hmm. so I find it really interesting. You know, that you were raised in the church, and you start playing essentially rock music, but country and, and rock. And the first thing that you think to write about is uh, Christian inspired, at, mm-hmm. at least. And, uh, you know, that fascinates me. But then um, I would assume that most of your audience is not actually Christian. Oh, gosh, no. We, no. No, I would say not. But, I mean, not that I'm, like, judging anybody or yeah. even thinking about that or, you yeah. know. Yeah, I mean, it's just, we just play rock clubs yeah. just like 
everyone else does. Yeah. <laughs> but I, part of, I'm sorry, I'm interrupting. No, you're great. Yeah. Part of, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm a believer and, and, but mm-hmm. that isn't like, I'm not out trying to evangelize right. or, I mean, and, and a lot of it, quite honestly, is I'm, you know, I'm not as worried about it now as I as I used to be. Like I was just obsessed with country music mm-hmm. all through the '90s. Like I have no idea what was happening in the world of music. You know, mm-hmm. like I I never knew what Nirvana was or how awesome they were until after that guy died. You know, mm-hmm. and and it was all in retrospect, and everything yeah. is like I didn't know. I was just pouring through you know albums and listening to the history of American music and. Yeah. And and I was single-minded in that, in a quest to to understand what what it was, you know. And so much of it is gospel music, and that's just. And I and I love gospel music, and I'll, I can talk about that with my albums later. Like it's like whether you believe in it or not, it's going to take you to another place. Mm-hmm. It's going to elevate you into a higher place you know and that's just what it does and that's what it's designed for like spiritual music in throughout all cultures does that i think and it's there's something about it you know and some people can say well i can get that same feeling at a punk rock show and and that's absolute truth you know like you can like it is in there and i think that there is a spirit and and that there that, that god is in that um whether you're listening to David Bowie or mm-hmm. um, Mahalia Jackson, yeah, yeah, um, I was I was going to ask you what uh, shows you know you might have seen of growing up that inspired what you would become as a performer, but I'm also assuming that some of of that answer might be church. Yeah, probably. Well, the church I grew up in wasn't really. I mean, there was a church choir, but it wasn't like a. I mean, we were here in Boulder, and a bunch of white people, you know, yeah. like, <laughs> <laughs> they weren't stopping their boots around. Me. Yeah, it wasn't. Like, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I listened. Like I, I didn't know. Like even like how I was just saying about the the '90s, I didn't know anything about what was happening culturally with music in our country. But, hmm. um, but also when I was a kid in the '70s. Um, and I loved music. It was the most important thing to me in the, in the world, but I had no idea what was happening in pop music right. um, or on the radio. And, and so I, I listened to Christian music and, it, and, and I still love some of it, you know, like, um, but Christian rock, like this guy named Larry Norman, I don't know if you ever heard mm-hmm. of him, but it's really interesting. And he was like, he was kind of a rebel and he terrified my parents, but he sang rock music yeah. like, and he was rowdy and he had really long blonde hair and he wore like a leather jumpsuit. And, um, but yeah, I was obsessed with that dude. When you say country, uh, I mean, and that you were obsessed with the country as a kid, I'm well, I'm it, not, both things, yeah, yeah, it's kind of weird. <laughs> <laughs> I'm assuming that it, you know, it, um, it wasn't Garth Brooks and, and Alan oh, Jackson, you no. were going way back, yeah, oh, yeah, 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 Jimmy Rogers, Carter family, yeah, yeah, yeah. What was your favorite of all those? Um, I, I mean, it's kind of always easy to say because everybody, everybody likes it, but um. 
but for me, and it still stands like, you know, Johnny Cash, like, you just can't. Because even in the end of his life, he was still an artist. Like, mm-hmm. singularly, that was the importance of it. Yeah. Like, there were a few decades of some bad music before he did, like, the American recordings, but um, he just didn't know how to how to do it at that time. He was probably invested in other things and having a family and just kind of making music. But then he became an artist again, you know, and it was pretty impressive what, what he accomplished. Um, but of course everyone loves Johnny Cash, but I, um, I, I love, I love the Carter family. I love those old gospel, the, the old country gospel music is, um, amazing to me. And it was, it was obviously a, a big influence on Slim Sass's Auto Club. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, As a lot of things were, you know, Dead yeah. Kennedys were a huge influence. I mean, you know, yeah. I, I can go on. Like, there's Joy Division, like, yeah. <laughs> like and country gospel music. And well, I let's think get that... to <laughs> let's get to the Auto Club in a few minutes. Sorry. I want to ask you, uh, you know, the, the basic premise here, it's kind of a spin on the desert island question, you mm-hmm. know, but... If you were stranded in a, a remote a cabin in Colorado, uh, you could probably imagine uh, maybe it would be in the area where you live. <laughs> but, um, Might be the place where I live. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, unfortunately, uh, you'd be completely alone in this situation. Yeah. And you wouldn't know um, what had happened to your family and friends, but you would have, uh, you know, uh, enough food and water for uh, indefinitely and a crank powered Victrola and you get to bring five vinyl albums. So yeah. What is the first album you would bring? The, um, yeah, I might have to, um, I don't think I need notes because it's hard. It's hard to pick yeah. five. And so like just sitting here right now, mm-hmm. like I, I had to, um, look at all my albums and, and remember, yeah, you went through your collection yeah. in your house. The, the, yeah, I did. Yeah, nice. that's great. But uh, the the first one is is well, I I don't and there's not necessarily an order, but so but I'll start with, um, Violent Femmes' Hallowed Ground. Oh, great! Because um, and it's interesting because and I think that somebody was was joking and and kind of being a smartass about this, but. On a social media, this was maybe five or six years ago, somebody tagged me in a post that would say, would Slim Cessna even exist if not for Violent Femmes' Hallowed Ground? And at the time, I was like, oh, come on, what are they talking about? And I right. should have responded, you know, and like, and, and whatever. Like, but, but then thinking about it, like, that's, I mean, of course I would exist, but would would the music that that I make have have been the same without that record mm. and and that's one in particular one album and you know violent femmes are great like you can say great things about every album and and but this one their second album is it's like the greatest album of all time and and I think that that I have to be honest and say yeah I think that record has influenced me more than than anything that I've ever heard you know there's like one of the most beautiful um and bizarre like 
um, murder ballads. You know, that's how the the album starts. You mm -hmm. know, and then it moves into like unironic gospel music. Right. Like, and that's the part that I that I love, and that's the part that I loved then. There's no irony. There's no like, do do. You know, there's mm -hmm. it's straight like, this is it. This is our song. It's about Jesus. Yeah. And we just played a murder ballad, you know, and that is in essence what American music is like. That's the stories and um, little murder ballads and gospel music. That's mm. that's Amer That's the history of, of of our music, you know, as far as you know, folk music goes. Right. So it's pretty cool. Really I saw, great album. I saw a video recently that was the Violent Violent Femmes at Woodstock '94, and I. I forgot that they play because you think of the the famous Nine Inch Nails set where they're covered in mud and then yeah. Green Day and all that. Yeah, yeah. But actually, the first night I believe, um, one of the prime sets after the sun went down on the big stage that had uh, two hundred thousand fans there. The Violent Femmes were absolutely commanding this audience. And uh, when you were talking about um, you know whether. It's music uh, directly about God. It can still be spiritual, even if they're singing "Dance, Motherfucker, Dance" and yeah, yeah. all this stuff. And yeah, so, it's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> I could I could see how that uh, stage show as well, not just the music, but uh, the way they performed would have been an, an an influence in some way on you. Did you ever see them play when you were growing up? Yeah, I've seen them well I, three or four times. I, Auto Club opened for him at one point, way back in the in the nineties. I re I remember I don't remember what year it was, but it was pretty early on. And the Bluebird I know had just opened as as what it is now. And so I, so right, it was probably in like ninety five or ninety six. Yeah. And we had a show at the Ogden opening for Violent Femmes. But then we couldn't stay to see them because we also had a show uh, with 16 horsepower at the Bluebird, Bluebird down the street, and mm -hmm. so we had to leave. But And I, I wasn't able to hang out with them or anything, yeah. and I remember being so disappointed about that part. But And I'm shy anyway, like I, culturally, I mean, socially just so awkward. Like I never, I have such a hard time talking to people. In a situation, so I probably wouldn't have even introduced myself. <laughs> I'd just like stare at him awkwardly. I but, always uh, think of, of that Neil Young line <laughs> up, up from On the Beach where, where he says, I need a crowd of people, but I can't face them day to day. Yeah. <laughs> she still had them crossed eyes, had the So, Bloodflower, and then uh, uh, how do you get from that to Slim Sessa's Auto, Auto Club? Um, well, Bloodflower, and then, and then, uh, uh, then, then there was Denver Gentleman, which basically was uh, Bloodflower, but we changed the name, and um, and I was playing drums at that time, and I. Uh, um, and kind of a co-singer with Jeffrey Paul, and, and they had already been playing. Well, there was, like, people moving around, like, a couple, couple guys went to California. I was in Boston for a little while, but then we all kind of ended up back in 
in um, in Denver, like early '90s, like 1990, I suppose, is when uh, Denver Gentlemen started. And I think that that would be like a place where people would point to, like, and I don't know. It sounds like I'm just being so full of myself in it. But, like, there's this thing that people talk about called the Denver Sound, you know? And so yeah. I, I think that we look at that, like, and then that kind of split off to be, like, 16 horsepower. And then I did the Auto Club, and um, Jeffrey Paul kept Denver Gentleman going for a little bit longer. But uh, for whatever it's worth, I, I don't know. Like, yeah, so it, mm-hmm. it moved into that, and then I decided that I wanted uh, I didn't want to be a singing drummer, so I learned three chords and, and um, made the Auto Club. Like, 92. 92. Yeah. And then Munley came later, right? Mm-hmm. Munley and Dwight, and thank thank God for that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they uh, 98, I think, mm-hmm. they, they came. And, and Rumley also, John Rumley was a huge part of of how the the band progressed into what it is now, though he's not playing with us anymore. But, um, yeah, they, he he joined in like ninety six or ninety seven, I suppose. Mm-hmm. When did you make your first record? I think you have about six, right? Um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how many. Um, There's wh- no fact checking. Yeah, uh, allowed I, here. I think we have a few more than six, but there's different. It's hard to. Most recent one, yeah. The Commandments is is the most recent one, right? Yeah, and we're yeah. due for another. We are working yeah. on it um, at the moment, even. Um, hopefully, it'll be finished soon. But uh, um, my, the the first Auto Club record came out in '94, mm-hmm. I think. Did our, you have a label, or did you do it yourself? No, we did it ourselves. Yeah. Um, and that you know, our fr- then we were with Alternative Tentacles. Our, our next album was on Alternative Tentacles in, in 2000. It came out, and that was, and then we we were with them for about 15 years, and they re-released the first one that mm-hmm. we had put out ourselves. Right. Um, and did you get to uh, establish um, a relationship with Jello? Yeah, 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 very much. I mean, he was. Well, I would say that he still is a, a family. Um, we left the label and started our own label. And uh, seven or eight years ago, maybe SCAC Records. Yeah, mm-hmm. and um, and that that didn't go well, and we probably didn't do everything right, you know. Especially when you're when we're dealing with someone who is like family and mm-hmm. has become that. So I mean, ho- so hopefully he'll remember that we love him. Yeah, someday. He's actually, uh, you know, everyone thinks of him as a San Francisco guy, but he's kind of a boulder he's guy. He's a too. boulder guy, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And that's how we know him, I mean, because he would, he would, you know, come to visit his family mm-hmm. here in Boulder, and, and then he would always try to see shows in Denver, you know, while he's visiting family. And, yeah. and he just started coming to, to see us play, you know. Uh, how soon did you start touring wild, widely? Um, wildly and widely, I guess. <laughs> consistently, as far as like the, um, of course, the last couple of years, like that totally yeah. crashed. But like we're just starting to figure that out again now. Um, but um, 
doing that consistently where that is the main, that's the drive and that's like how we're all trying to make our money and doing, you know, with that 2000. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I've been, I've been touring nationally since 1986 with mm. blood flower. Yeah. Before that. And then Denver gentlemen, I don't think we ever toured, but auto club did a few tours before 2000, but really we didn't get rolling until we were with Alternative Tentacles. Uh, do you feel like you're m- uh, almost more well-known in Europe than in America? Yeah. Yeah. I was on tour up with Gasoline Lollipops. We actually, we actually opened for you um, a few times. but Yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I know, and I'm yeah. sorry I'm so socially weird. <laughs> I probably didn't say anything. That's all right. <laughs> I was, I just felt like I was at church, you know, um, and everybody who we talked to, like from uh, the drivers of the vans that we had to people at shows all over Belgium and Holland, they were just like, Oh, do you know Slim Stesna's auto club? Just... <laughs> yeah. It's kind of weird, right? <laughs> How did that happen then? I don't know. You established such a fan base over there. I, I think that, um, I mean, that was, I think because of 16 horsepower going there and establishing it first Mm. and not like, I don't think that we're necessarily riding on their coattails. Like, like we weren't like, like it wasn't like anything nefarious of us. Like, yeah, well, you know, I used to be in a band with them, but people there like were so obsessed with that band Mm. that they researched everything about it you know everything about like who was in bands with him before right. and then there was already kind of a thing called the denver sound that um a writer i think in san francisco had had started that whole thing and and uh, and i might be completely wrong about all of this but i but i it just we didn't really have to do a lot of uh work like what we had to do in the states for that like we just went there and and it was already like you know oh it's the guy that used to be in denver gentleman with yeah dave you know type of thing (laughs) and and then and it just worked and then we you know we we got on a a label called glitter house records over Mm -hmm. there and kind of um i suppose it's like a sub pop of of europe Mm -hmm. and and that was helpful but that's also the label that you know does woven hand and so it just kind of everything just worked that way and so yeah. you know i'm thankful for for those guys for helping it make it easy for us right. you know they paved the way a little bit yeah um it's it saved our asses on that tour if we would play a johnny cash song and well but especially if we would play country roads by john denver mm-hmm. there were some places that were full of like you know soccer hooligans in belgium and we felt like this place is about to pop, you know, in a bad way. And then we would play Country Roads yeah. and everybody's singing along. We <clears throat> um, also went to Russia to play, didn't you? Yeah, well, we that? have. I've been, we've been there twice and that's a huge part of like our business. Like it became, you know, financially, like you wouldn't think that like a having to get on an airplane and Amsterdam and flying to Russia would actually financially save a tour. Like, mm. but it's, I have a, just a very... How did that come about? Um, I, I think that that came about uh, because of Munley. Um, yeah. People 
and whatever social media they were using, somehow some of his work in writing and some of his other records with, uh, you know, the Lubricleans and the Lee Lewis Harlots before Mm -hmm. that and um, just caught on, like, and so Munley became like this uh, um, personality in, in Russia. Wow. And... And we and that's another one where the rest of us were just tagging along, like mm-hmm. they're all there to see Munley, you know. And it and it was great. Like, um, what kind of places did you play? Were they clubs? Yeah, we played clubs. I mean, um, like mid-size. Like it's not like we're filling, like, yeah, mean, like the Fox. I mean, I size. think yeah. I mean, yeah. I think that our, our first show, the Auto Club, went there to play, and I, I would guess it was capacity 300 and it was sold out yeah and then after and then dbuk went uh a few years later and we played the first show sold out and so they we had to play two shows in a row in one night like wow. like um, a in moscow and then we, and then we also went to st petersburg so we've only played those two cities but it's it's interesting and, and, and it's sad you know like because i mean you know you've been all over the world and like everybody is the same like everywhere we go yeah. you know what we i mean there's like obvious cultural things and right. you know and language but we're all just people just trying to figure it out and we're and every, it's just sad like the whole i mean i'm not gonna it's it's sad that we won't ever get to go again you yeah. know like it's done and like, you can't blame the people. You can't blame the people yeah. that go to the shows. Yeah. No. And I know people there who, who, you, yeah, we don't hear from anymore. You know, mm-hmm. like promoters that were anti-war and, and now it's on social media and then all of a sudden it goes dark. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I'm, I, I'm not trying to say one thing or another. I'm just, you it's just, just a bizarre thing that happened. And yeah. in this, like... How archaic is that too? Like that whole, like, bloodbath, or like, like the whole. I, 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 I just can't wrap my head around it. That this is still happening. Like, and people I, who I know, you know, are, are like involved. Are like, probably had to go fight and, and right. shit like that. Like, whoa, that's just crazy to me. And I wish there sad. was something we could do to just end the war. To just yeah. end it. But and it, it's just and it's sad for me personally and us, you know, like we, um, you know, Munley and the Lupercleans. That was part of. Um, they just returned from from Europe, and that was going to be one of the shows. And but this was obviously before the the right. war started, right. and 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 then it was, you know, now it's over. So we'll never we'll never be able to go again. Um, which, I mean, that sounds like. I never know. <laughs> like whatever, like, but who cares? At the same time, why would I want to go again to? Mm-hmm. Maybe you can play in the Ukraine. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, and we and that was a thing that was getting starting to get built. Mm-hmm. We have people there. Um, we just hadn't played there yet. Yeah, it's intra- that you know further east in a way like that we got like you know Serbia and um, you know I mean Czech Republic is a, is a is a huge. Um, part of our world and in Poland and you know and we just kept trying to go further like out yeah. that direction it always seemed to get 
better the further that mm. direction we would go. And I always wonder why that's how it is for us, you know. So it's yeah. not necessarily the case with other with other bands like, you know, Netherlands and Belgium and Germany and, mm. and those places are which we love playing. I'm not knocking it like Belgium is like my favorite country in the world. I could yeah. move there right now. And have you been to Ghent? I have, yeah. I was I was just there with my kid last week, and and I don't know why, but I just want to keep going back. It just feels like you're in another time. It's yeah. just, yeah, it's it, yeah, it's crazy there, isn't it? Like, yeah, yeah, you're walking on streets that, I've, I've, you know, from the dark ages, and it, like it's uh, amazing to me that it's still. Is there, you know? Yeah. I wanted to ask you, um, you know, how did your relationship with Munley start and what does it mean to you after? all these years um yeah Munley and I became friends before before he, we were playing music together he had um Munley Didarhi um and Nick from Devotchka was in that band playing mm -hmm. trumpet um in the in the 90s and then uh, I and then I had the auto club and we we started um playing shows together the two bands here in Boulder, we played at the Fox with them. We played at the Boulder Theater with Munley D. Darhi, and, and then also some shows in Denver. Um, but, I, and and we, it was kind of like, oh, with, with Munley, it's always been instantly, like he was more family than, than a friend and like, like a, like a brother. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, he was very active in, with my kids like like he was he he was also like our the babysitter for mm -hmm. George and Amelia and um I don't know and 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 so it just kind of seemed to make sense that we should he should be in the band did your songwriting click immediately yeah and then he kind of took over as the primary songwriter and which is amazing because you know it's like yeah, because that's that's his gift. We we learned that we, we I mean it, it's not like it happened overnight, but over over time we learned what what our gifts were. Like mm -hmm. and and his is certainly as a songwriter, you know, like way more than me. And and I'll have have a song here and there. Um, but he he'll write things. And this is something we don't talk about, and I can be completely wrong, but like for me to sing, you right, know, like right. as if it as if it is part of of like his understanding at least yeah of of me, and so that's a symbiotic and so it's it's very it's very cool, you know, and it's not just him, dwight too like like and and rumley like when when the band was really really starting to move and and when always say please and thank you came out in 2000 and then we just hit the road and kind of had have been on the road ever since you know like it would like because of those guys 
like everything everything just clicked and finally came together and and I and I was able to let go cuz I had been trying to be a country singer you mm-hmm. know and I was trying to figure out how to do it right and 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 I what I mean and I just wasn't very good at it and I and I think the reason for that is because I I've always been kind of weird, you know, and I wasn't really like that. And so, mm-hmm. and, and it, so it took like having these other people with me who were also like really interesting oddball people, um, where we were just like, well, who cares? Like, and, and it wasn't spoken, but like, we just dropped any idea of a genre. Mm. And, and I think that yeah. that is the most important thing and of what we, of what we've been able to accomplish, you know, it's made it hard in a, in a, in a lot of ways because we don't, we don't fit into like any kind of club or group of, of music. And it sounds, man, I'm, it sounds like I'm so full of myself and I'm trying not to be. <laughs> you're and, explaining how you found um, your sound. I don't think it's, it's like, yeah. One, one of the greatest things that, that we've accomplished is not sounding like anything else you know, mm-hmm. and, and being our own, exclusively our own thing. But that also, like, doesn't work for record stores or Spotify or all of those things, you know. It's like it doesn't help us to that we're the only ones, you know. Like, mm-hmm. And so people have to discover us um, separately from how even how I learned how to discover music when I was a kid, you know? Right. Well, this is like this, and that's like this. And so, like, and and I don't think I'm being too full of myself to say that, you know, we, that's something that we did. Yeah. You know? And it almost ma- sounds like the Grateful Dead. Jerry <laughs> <laughs> Garcia used to say, you know, not, uh, uh, not everybody likes black licorice, but people who do really like black liquor yeah and so that's kind of <laughs> yeah. like slim sets is a club too i think it is and and yeah that's true like and the people who who follow us and and appreciate what we're doing they're yeah they're like that like they're and they keep, kind of obsess over it you know they're gonna keep paying attention you, yeah you, know, you don't necessarily need all, all the marketing in the world because they're yeah. already sold on it you know so number two choice of albums. Oh yeah. Let me see. I got to look in here. Oh, number two album. This it's another 1980s album. Came out in 1980. Joy Division. Closer. It's like, it still holds up. Like I still listen to it. You know, I still put yeah. it on my turntable and like, I want to listen to a really great record. And so, oh, of course I'm gonna. It's gonna be that. Even the cover is like gorgeous and mm. the music and the arrangements it's just the most lovely visually and the soundscape of all of it and it still holds up it's timeless mm. um even though it's so 80s sounding at right. the same time yeah, but yeah. but it's not the kind of it's not, but it's not something that doesn't continue to work you know throughout throughout the decades i suppose it's just a very important record to me i keep hearing that name more and more um the joy division continues to be influential on mm-hmm. new bands and that's when you know the velvet underground is the same way mm-hmm. that they will always be influential yeah absolutely yeah yeah 
Um, I want to ask you a very specific question because I'm a dork. Okay. Mm-hmm. How do we do things in the country? What is the way <laughs> we do things in the country? <laughs> well, first of all, that's a, that's that's one of our murder ballads. Yeah. So I don't, we don't really want to do that. <laughs> We're not really like that. In case anyone's wondering, <laughs> it's a cautionary tale. Yeah, it's yeah. a story about um, you know like. I, gosh, what's the word? I, I'm having trouble remembering what words are. Um, did Munley write that one? Or yeah, yeah, that's a Munley song. Munley did. And it's uh, it's an amazing murder ballad because he takes it, he takes that genre and he twists it even further and makes this guy like, like uh, the like the, you know the, the the guy who's singing, like thinks he's doing the right thing, you know, because of superstition, because right. of because of a deeply dark religious superstitious he has to bury this woman in a certain way is that right yeah and but but he also had to kill her because of something that was twisted in the first place you know and just because of um because she had cross eyes yeah okay yeah and it just affected him negatively (laughs) and then um every and then everything became crossed you know everything had to be had to work that way that was the first song of yours that I ever heard, and it fascinated yeah. me. I wanted to know, you know, about each line because it's a short story in a song. It's not just yeah. your average, but that's what they did back in the day with with country music with these these albums, the, these songs that influenced you as a kid when that was all you wanted to listen to, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, who, uh, who influenced you as a, a performer to want to get on stage and really, you know, you hear the term sometimes um about um, a concert oh it was it was like a revival yeah but your shows really are like that's not exaggerating to say that yeah and it's not like we set out to make a revival i mean so much of that is is just us having a blast Mm -hmm. you know like like having fun like munley and i doing a thing and trying to outdo each other and and Mm -hmm. goofing off you know and then it kind of I, I think that people s- say that it's like a revival, and I get it, and I'm not knocking it, but it's not like we're up there saying we got to make this a revival, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. when in, when in really we're just having a kick-ass time, you yeah. know, um, every night, like every show, like it's just a blast, and it doesn't matter how tired you are or whatever, like, and that's, and also it's our job, like, to do that, but, mm-hmm. like, but... I mean, it's interesting because, I mean, there was a certain time in the, also in the 80s, of course, like, but this was very influential for me and part of how I became friends with Dave Edwards and Jeffrey Paul in the, in the first place is we were all kind of obsessed about U2 together in really? the mid, in like the early to mid 80s, like with the first couple of albums, Boy and then October, mm. and then War came out, and then they played at Red Rocks. Yeah, under and a blood so, red sky. Yeah, and so mm-hmm. it's 1983, and I'm there with my friends, and we're right up front. You oh, know, nice. you can see us in the movie. You and know? it was raining, right? Yeah, and mm-hmm. it was just like, but like whatever you think of them, and, and I'm not like, I still, those, those first three albums for me are still special, like, like they weren't much older than we were. Like mm-hmm. I always loved that, like that they were, still teenagers themselves mm-hmm. and they were just and they in reinvented how to play music because they weren't really that good at it mm. 
and but then it changed the world of music like like it wouldn't sound like it does now if that band never existed and you can say that you love them or hate them yeah and i get both sides and it doesn't really matter but like it was kind of like a big deal back then you know like wow like there's nothing like this that has ever happened in the world like music like this and it's also spiritual like they're also like a lot of Christian references. Mm -hmm. So me and my friends could like really latch on, you know, like, wow, that's really interesting. Mm -hmm. We're here at Red Rocks and it's raining. And that dude is like all over the place, you know, and and he was a great, amazing showman, like especially uh, to me at the time. So that would be a huge influence. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I would also say um, the, the Talking Heads, um, seeing the movie Stop Making Sense was a really big, big deal for me at the time. And right around at the same time, within a year or two, you know, those two things happened. Yeah. Where I, it, 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 like I could identify, like I wanted to do shows like that, you know. I didn't want to just stand there and play music. I wanted to put on a, I wanted to put on a show. I wanted it to be something that would be remembered, you know? Yeah, yeah. Beyond the music, even. It, it's it's so surprising to see, or to hear you say, you uh, too was such an, an influence, but it, it makes sense. And, and I think when someone is so ubiquitous, we forget that they ever did anything that was positive because, because we're so sick of them. <laughs> But All right, right. I mean, know. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I would love for them to go away so I can just have my good memories. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's it like to play music with your son? It's incredible. Yeah. It's great. Like, I mean, it, it always has felt like a family band anyway. Mm-hmm. Like, kind of the way we we set it up and the way that, you know, like, and it just makes sense that he should he should be in it. Though he he certainly doesn't have to. He's got his own things, and I'm gonna even talk about it. Snakes as is a of, really good band. Yeah, with a really good record. Yeah, for sure. I'm gonna have him on the show for sure too. Oh, good. Yeah, because yeah. he's really good. Like I, I always think that he's better than all of us as far <laughs> as, you know, like really crafting like these amazing songs and, um, and and he's such a great musician. Like he, he's beyond um, anyone else. Like, and he's uh, known Munley probably since he was born, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that that's definitely like a family. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and he he has one tattoo, and it says "Doter made me do it" on his arm, and that's a monthly line. So that's oh. he's pretty much. <laughs> um, choice number three here. Yeah. All right, what do we got? <laughs> oh yeah, uh, album from nineteen eighty three, the very first Waterboys album. Oh wow! And it's actually an EP, so it's a mini a mini EP, and um, they're Scottish, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's so cool because it, and it's very similar, and it's all also from the same time. But this one still lasts, and the Waterboys also didn't get weird like like you two. But mm-hmm. 
it's very spiritual in it, but mixed with like Scottish folklore mm -hmm. and, um, and but then also like references to C.S. Lewis, mm -hmm. you know, who wrote the Narnia books yeah. and like, um, just all of the things that a young teenager trying to figure out, fi find his way through, through the world, like in the, in the way that I was. And, and, and my friends were like, that album is just spectacular. And um, uh, the site, it, it's kind of saxophone heavy. Actually, mm -hmm. all the first four maybe Waterboys albums are real heavy on the 80s saxophone. Right. And, but that doesn't, and it sounds like I'm being negative because it can be negative, but also it can be like, like David Bowie, like you can't not have saxophone on you know American like and so it's like amazing and, and so I'm not knocking the instrument I'm not but but it had but it can be a problem and and sometimes it's a slight problem for me on the water boys but <laughs> but the first album definitely holds up and and the there's only two songs on the second side um, uh, the first song is December and the the second song is um, Savage Earth Heart, and they're they're both like incredibly you know like Odyssey of like you know, Pilgrim's Progress of, of of spirituality mixed with Scottish folklore and um, interesting things. That's a great mix. Yeah, um, all of your albums are worth listening to, and they have great songs and great players on them. But do you feel like this last one, the commandments, you guys took things to a different level. Like it's it, it's it's pro, um, in a way. It's not off putting, it's not polished, in, in like in a bad way. But uh, do you feel like um, all of your experience of making albums up to that kind of came together? I hope so. Yeah, I mean, we always think it that way. You know, no. like. Like we try to grow and we try not to be too repetitive. You know, mm -hmm. we don't want to just keep making the same sounding record all the time. We like to try to challenge ourselves mm -hmm. because, I mean, we're artists and we want to, or we, I mean, at least we try to pretend that we are. I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to pretend to like, and so it's, it's, it's interesting to us when we can, you know, when we can make an album that is that is interesting to us, you mm -hmm. know, and then we hope that people like it. And usually the people that follow us um, join us in, in that, you know, like, oh, yeah, that's really like, mm -hmm. but yeah. And so I, I, I think that, you know, at the time, it's kind of like, and, and our albums are so spread apart like you know, there's years before we yeah. have another record and, and oftentimes like we don't just put out records right because we think we have to like it, well it's been it, six years now right yeah it takes time yeah. to build and figure out and then we also have other projects it's like we made a looper Cleans record and that took us a few years and that one's spectacular too by the way but um and, and we're working on DBUK all at the same mm -hmm. time. Like, we have all these other things that we're doing, so it always seems like it's forever since you've heard a record, but really, like, 
you know, we, we do have other things that we're doing at the same time, but it's we just call them tree. different, different it's kind bands. Of family tree of bands you know? <laughs> yeah. And so it's kind of funny, but, um, but, and so we don't like, yeah. And so it's like, it, it was a different record than anything that we ever made. And we didn't really think of it like that because we're living it every day. But then when you look back, it's like, oh yeah, like my, my kids really did grow in that four years, you know? Right. Yeah. Did you work with a producer on that one? We did it all ourselves. Yeah. And that was the first auto club. We, we attempted that. Yeah. And learned a lot. And the next one, and made mistakes that we wish we could go back in time, you know, like... On the commitments record? Yeah, like it would be nice to, if we could have a little more time to... Because all of a sudden there was a deadline too, and, mm. and we're doing it ourselves. And, and the deadline was because of a tour to Europe that was going to happen. And, and Europe is always really particular, as you probably know. You have to have like a record, you know. If that's something. And it can't up. be from six years ago. Right. And like in the States, you can just get in the van and just go play shows. Mm. But there they have to have something. And so we, it was like, oh, man. like, Okay. So, well, for whatever it's worth. I mean, I love it. It's, um, I think, I think we all do, but uh, I think we also wish that we could have it back to finish better. <laughs> well, in 20 years, you can do the remixed, remastered. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was the first one that you produced and engineered all, all yourselves? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we all did. That's fascinating because in, uh, to my ear, it, it's got the best... You know, Drum sounds, bass sounds, everything. Oh, good. I mean, well, it's, thank you for that. It's not as garagey. Well, you know, how do you keep track of which songs are which on an album? Because <laughs> I really, I know which ones I like the most, and I don't know how to refer to them exactly. Yeah, we like to, we really like to mess with people, mm -hmm. and that, and that starts with Munley. He's really good at that. You mm -hmm. know. Like, um, like, I think that Cypher, our, our album Cypher, I think it came out in 2008, which I still think is our best work and, and really hard to top. You know, when you make something mm -hmm. and it's like, how can you, how can we make this better than Cypher, you know? Right. And that, that's like a, that's a feat, I think, for us, because that's, that's our top moment, I think. But um, wait, why? Why am I? Why am I talking about that? Oh, the, but that was when you know Munley for like really went for it, and you know we created our own cipher, and all of the text on all of the album is in a code, you know, and and we tried even to get alternative tentacles to jump on board with us, and and even allow their information to be in in the code that Munley made, you know, of, of this cipher that you have to, like, try to figure out, like, song titles and everything. Of course, all you have to do is put the CD into iTunes and it shows you all the yeah. right things. But, but they didn't go along with that. But we were able to at least put the album title and the all of the songs in, in that code. And then when we re-released it on our own label, um, we, we were able to put our own label information in the code. But it's just, like, I don't know, like... I think people have come to expect those things from us now, and and more often than not, that's um, because Munley is 
awesome that way, and he's just a very interesting. Um, it's just, yeah, whatever. It, it's just great that I get to be in a band with him. He's almost like the Neil Pert of the band, you know, the one <laughs> yeah. writing these uh, yeah songs for people to decipher, creating you know? creating other worlds and and making us all go along on the ride with them, you know. Have you had any sense of what actual, you know, fundamentalist, evangelical Christians uh, uh, think of your music? Um, I, I don't know. I, I honestly don't know. Yeah. I'm not, I, I don't know that world. Yeah. I, and, and I don't, I don't and I, I'm not interested to know it. Mm. You know, it certainly isn't part of yeah. my background or, or where where I'm heading and, and I'm not meaning that in a judgmental way. Like mm-hmm. I, I don't see I don't see the world in the in the same way that an evangelical could. Right. Yeah. Um and there's and so like I, I don't know. I don't I, I can't imagine that there have been many at our shows anyway or even are aware that yeah. who we are. I was raised in a Catholic family, which means we were very, very religious mm-hmm. in that you had to go to church, but we never talked about what was in the Bible. We had no idea. We had no education in, in that way. And so I, part of the reason that I find your music so fascinating is that there might be a lot of people out there who identify fiercely as Christian and maybe would see what you guys look like and what the music sounds like and 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 think it was <laughs> evil bad whatever and then if they actually sat down with the lyrics they would say oh this guy knows more about what i claim to be yeah. than i than i do yeah maybe i hope so yeah <laughs> <laughs> i i hope that we i can uh, have contributed to Helping someone not be so fundamental. Yeah. <laughs> I would love to hear a Slim Says as Auto Club song on on country radio in between, you know, the songs about trucks and girls mm-hmm. and beer. Just all of a sudden, one of your songs. You know what that would go over. <laughs> you know what's interesting? I gotta look at my phone to get the name of the bands, but and it <laughs> this doesn't it only kind of relates. But um, <laughs> there's there's a tour that's happening, and you might know these bands, and I don't, and mm-hmm. so I, I still haven't really looked into it. Obituary? These are like death Carcass. metal bands. Yeah, yeah. Um, they are between those, so those bands are on tour, mm-hmm. and I'm getting notice, messages from people all over the country that says, and they're showing me videos of... Oh, they're. Um, I'm at Obituary Carcass, and they're playing, and it's all skack between the set breaks. So, oh it, wow, their whole tour apparently they're playing yeah. the Auto Club between bands. That's and really so, cool. That's like pretty awesome. Anyway, I don't. I I'll have to look into what what those bands are, and I'm and I'm sorry if they're listening that I don't know, but I'm <laughs> gonna learn, and I'll be a better person. <laughs> okay, so what is your number four choice? Number four. Uh, Bob Dylan saved. Oh wow! Yeah, greatest gospel record of all time. Wow! Like, when it came, so he had like a trilogy of yeah. gospel records. Slow train, slow train coming, saved, and then oh, I forget what the third uh, one was. Shot of love. Shot of love. Yeah. And um, 
And then I think after that, he came out with Infidels. I think that that's the right order. I think you're right. And and then he was kind of a big hit, like, on MTV and stuff with Infidels and, mm. and had the Ray-Bans on the cover, and he was cool again. But still, like, with a, a very spiritual edge that that he maintained after those very specific, you know, in-your-face, like, like, no fear, like, I'm just going for it. Yeah. Like, he had an experience that happened, you know? Like, that was real, obviously, because these songs are like, you don't just make that shit up, you know? I was only one or two when this album yeah. came out, so I didn't see him on that tour, but I have l- listened to recordings of how he was really preaching on stage, too. It wasn't yeah. just that he was playing these songs. Yeah, he was going for it all yeah. the way. And I, and I, uh, like I told you before, I didn't... Like, I wasn't completely in tune with what was happening in, in popular music mm-hmm. at the time, though I was just starting. Like, I had already seen Devo on Saturday Night Live, and mm-hmm. so I already knew that there were people like me in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, that Weirdos. Yeah, <laughs> that it wasn't, that that it took, that there is, like, this other thing. And so mm-hmm. I was very intrigued, and I, and, and, um, and so that was pretty cool. But I remember I was with my mom... Went, there was a Christian bookstore here in Boulder, and and that's where I would get all of my records. And the guy that owned the place knew that I liked kind of weirdo music and stuff. But and and so like, um, but I remember seeing this record and not really. I, like, of course, I knew that Bob Dylan was 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 a singer and whatever, but I didn't know anything about Bob Dylan. Mm-hmm. And I went into the store and he told me I should buy the album that I would love it. And uh, so I have the same record. I bought it in 1980. And um, and it's like a life-changing experience. Like, it rocks harder than anything. Like, you can't deny the power of of how hard that record rocks, you know? Like, the, it's... Why it, saved of, of those three? Because it's the heaviest. Mm-hmm. It's really, really... I mean, they really pour it on it's the greatest gospel record of all time wow and the other two are, are great yeah and this one is better slow train is pretty subtle yeah you know it's not as in your <clears throat> face what it's exactly getting on and it's great you like know? i mean that electric piano sound mm-hmm. on that album is so cool yeah. but then on saved it like it moves to like full-on church organ you know what i mean like mm-hmm. it goes from ding to ding to like wow and that's so cool by his word i have been healed by his hand i've been delivered by his spirit i've been sealed i've been saved how are you feeling about the new year's show you guys pretty much always play new year's right yeah i mean we i mean I, i don't know what's happening this year but normally that you know people even from Europe like come and and it is like a thing you know mm-hmm. that we do and of course it used to be that we played blue we did it at the bluebird mm-hmm. i think we played 10 years 10 wow. new years in a row at the bluebird until there was a globe hall one right and then there you was a globe nights. hall one and then um, we also played the the oriental a couple times and <clears throat> and then we just ended up at the high dive and and i that sounded ended up 
forgive me, high dive. We love it there. Um, it's the CBG. We, and then we started spring. playing it at at, at the yeah. high dive, and and it's so easy for us to be there, and mm-hmm. and it's kind of like um, uh, it it just kind of became our 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 base, you know. Like ap- mm-hmm. after the Bluebird became AEG, and, yeah. and things like that begin to happen, it. They weren't really interested in tradition anymore or in, you know, mm. like every show had to sell out and yeah. and they had to make a certain amount of money. It became more about that than about a Colorado-Denver thing that had been happening right. since 1998 yeah. you know, or yeah. whatever and, and that people would come from all over the country and all over the world. To, and, boy, it sounds like I'm being really negative about the Bluebird, but um, I'm not. It. Because I understand things happen, and yeah, uh, but uh, but high dive's been awesome. We've been doing it there the last. Well, of course, we skipped one of them because of yeah. COVID, and that was the first New Year's I had off, and you know, probably since '98. Was it weird or earlier? Yeah, it was very strange. Yeah, it was weird for all of us. And then last year was interesting because there was a spike. In COVID, right. right as it was happening, and, and a lot of shows were show. being canceled, mm-hmm. and we were trying to debate, like, <clears throat> what do we do? We cancel, you know? Mm-hmm. We didn't know what to do, and we ended up doing it, but attendance was way down, even though tickets had sold. Like we made our money, right. but right. like, what, you know? So I feel bad, but so hopefully, hopefully these will go okay. We're doing two nights instead of three, mm-hmm. just to kind of feel our way back in to see what yeah. happens, you know. But, of course, we're looking forward to it. I mean, we always look forward to playing shows anyway, whether it's New Year's or any night, and Do always you, look forward to playing the high dive. Yeah. I mean, there are so few independent venues left. I believe the high dive and the Oriental probably are it. <laughs> There's HQ across the street now, too, though, right? Yeah. Yeah. We played there. Which used to be Three Kings. Uh-huh. Yeah, we yeah. played HQ, like, last... I don't. I don't remember when last spring, or maybe it was in the summer. <laughs> it was great. Everyone was was super great over there. Peter Orr and um, I don't know. It's fine. Yeah. Do you have an intention on New Year's um, of in in some way, you know, carrying people into another year or a a better life or something <laughs> like that. No. <laughs> I, I, I used to have an intention of getting really drunk and enjoying myself that way with the audience. And um, I haven't been drunk in a year and a half, so it'll be interesting to see what happens. That's, but I'm not going to be drunk. Yeah. So you, I, you haven't been drunk your entire marriage as well. Yeah, I haven't. Yeah. I still, I mean... Uh, I, I still have beers, right. a couple beers here and there, but I used to be a drunk. Yeah. I wasn't, I feel like I was known as uh, Slim's that guy that'll out drink you at the bar, you right. know, after the show, and, and that was true. Mm. And I think that I don't want to die anymore. What saved you? Hmm. What changed you? Uh, just. I I I realized I was just on a self-destruction path. Yeah. And 
and all kinds of bad things were happening to me, you know, relationships and all kinds of crazy um, things. Yeah. So I'm not, um, I don't want to make too big a deal of it, but so I, I was, you know, I, I recommitted myself to my faith and I stopped smoking after 38 years and I stopped being dr- a drunk. That's great, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So anyway, and then somehow I, and I don't think I was overweight, but I lost 50 pounds. Really? Yeah. Wow. So. I can't happened. imagine you weighing more than about uh, 140 pounds. So. <laughs> I'm pretty close to there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. Fifth. Sorry. Final choice. Yeah. <clears throat> oh, fifth. Yeah. So the fifth one is my son, George. Um, a year ago, I think it was about a year ago, when his, his album, um, his solo album, Lucky Writer, yeah, came good. out. And I just, I just, I'm so proud of him. And I, mm-hmm. and I honestly think, and I could listen to it over and over and over and over again, and I have. And I, it's one of the best. Like, I love it how it's not made for Spotify and for individual for and 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 that's what the auto club does too it's like we make full albums where everything has a purpose and a place you know Mm -hmm. there's a story not just within the song but it weaves throughout the entire thing and wonder where he learned that and and, (laughs) yeah and say it's an album album you know Mm -hmm. it's an album lovers record to um yeah uh, to sit there and and you know, put your headphones on and close your eyes and go through the entire experience, and it's just absolutely lovely. What is George's age? He is thirty-one. Thirty-one. Yeah. I mean, he definitely seems like somebody who's going to continue doing great things. You know? Yeah, I and think just... so because it it keeps getting better. Like all of his work, it's better. He's clearly influenced by his his experience of, you know, having, not only having you as his father, but making music with you, but his voice doesn't sound like yours. He's got his own thing. Yeah. He's got like this Lee Hazelwood thing happening, Mm -hmm. like, uh, like in the tone, in the timber, like, like it kind of sounds like me, but mine, mine goes into this other place and his kind of, his goes down. Yeah. In a in a lovely Lee Hazelwood, you know. And he's on the bill for both New Year's shows? Is that right? Just one. Just New Year's Eve he'll be playing. And that's Snakes, right? And that will be his Snakes. Yeah. I am looking for the boy that How far along, or what are the plans of writing and recording another SCAC? You, you referred it to as SCAC, which I liked. Yeah, um, that w- we are working on it now, and and we have been for quite some time, a couple of years. But but all at the same time of of uh, recording the newest Looper Kalian album that came out um, last summer. And a, a new DBUK album, and it's all part of um, Munley's Looper, Looper Kalia, um, and a, a series. So it's going to be a three-album series. And the Looper Cleans released the first. Auto Club does the second. DBUK will be the third, mm-hmm. and and hopefully we'll be finished with ours 
um, soon. Yeah. And it comes with like a like a book of, of, of the lyrics, and it's all about all of the characters that, that um, live in Munley's um, Lupercalian world and in his head, and so they're all songs about specific characters. This is really exciting. Yeah. So you think maybe a year from now it might be out? I hope so. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. Hopefully sooner, but... Uh, thank you yeah. so much. And we're doing it all ourselves, too, again. And, yeah, well... And have learned from... It worked things. out last yeah. time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for driving all the way... Oh, yeah. I guess I would say up here, but it might be down here. Oh, we're down. Yeah. yeah. I set up, though, too. I think maybe because it's slightly north of where we are, but, yeah. Right. I live at 10,500 feet, so... Man. In South Park. Yeah, just south of Fair Play. I appreciate it so much, and I had such a blast talking with you. Yeah, yeah. likewise. Thanks, man. Yeah. Thank you. I'll give you another hour, then I gotta run, I gotta fly away. Thanks for listening to my uh, interview with Slim, y'all. Uh, or Yins, where I'm from. Uh, Slim Cessna's Auto Club is playing two shows at the High Dive in Denver for New Year's weekend, as we talked about. And I just hope everybody has a great Christmas and Hanukkah. Um, follow Mile High Stash wherever you listen to podcasts, because we have some great episodes coming up with, uh, well, I hope they're great episodes. They're great guests. Um, with members of uh, Los Lobos, The Lumineers, Murder by Death, Devotchka, and, and more. Be safe out there. The bells will be ringing out for Christmas Day by the next time we talk. Everything will fall. I want to go back to Montreal.